Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're currently in a series on the book of Romans. We were in this series back in the months of May and June, and then we hit the pause button and we started back up a couple weeks ago. And, um, and two weeks ago, Kim preached Romans chapter 9. Last week, I preached Romans chapter 10. And then if, um, if you are paying attention, you know that today is Romans chapter 11. So next weekend is a guest speaker, but the following weekend then will be in Romans chapter 12. And I'm telling you, I am so excited about preaching Romans chapter 12. It's one of my favorite uh, chapters of Scripture, and it's going to be good. But, but let me just give you a little overview of where we're at. Uh, The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the Roman church to help bring correction to the church. Uh, It's one of the oldest churches uh, in in Christianity. Um, It was a merger of these Jewish believers and these Gentile believers who had come together um, and professed their faith in Jesus, and they began worshiping together. The Roman Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome around 49 A.D., uh, they left. So the Roman, uh, the Jewish believers in the Roman church left, and now it left just the Gentile believers. So what happens is they stopped practicing some of the Jewish traditions that were part of their Christian faith. And when they came back five years later, when Jews were allowed to come back to Rome, um, basically the church looked totally different. So now there was conflict in the church, and Paul says, hey, I want to help resolve this conflict. So he writes the letter to the Roman church. And one of the predominant themes, and and my hope is that you remember this because this is key. This is key for our, our our faith in Christ Jesus. But the predominant theme of the book of Romans is this, that God judges sin but manifests mercy through Jesus. And if we can just remember this, that, that God judges sin because he's holy, because he's righteous, uh, he has to judge sin. He has no choice but to judge sin. But he also loves us. He's benevolent. He's merciful. So he extends mercy to us through the form of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is mercy to us from God. This is how this works for us. So uh, the last couple of weeks, chapters 9 and 10, um, Paul was speaking directly to the Jewish believers in the Roman church, and he's trying to help them understand that although they were ch- the chosen people, God's chosen people, this is who they were and this is what their identity was, he was trying to help them see that, hey, God can choose who he wants and he can, he can curse basically who he wants because God is sovereign. And he, he was letting them know that, yes, you are chosen, but God has chosen the Gentiles as well because you rejected him, um, but you're not expelled from this. You can be part of this. So he's trying to help them see that they are all grafted in, that they are all together in one family, that it's the, the blood of Jesus that unites us all together. And that is a good reminder for churches today, that no matter what divides us politically, socially, ethnically, um, racially, gender, whatever it is that divides us, what unites us and brings us together is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what unites the body of Christ. So this is where we'll pick it up in Romans chapter 11. And basically the way he starts is by saying, in light of what I said previously. So remember what he said in chapters 9 and 10. Then he says this, I ask then, 
Has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's trying to help them reconcile this idea now that, hey, just because you have not chosen God, it doesn't mean he's rejected you. Because he's chosen to save Gentiles doesn't mean that he's rejected you. He goes on to say this in verse 2. No, God has, rejected his, uh, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what Scripture says about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. So Remember, if you remember last week, one of the things Paul does as he's talking to the Israelites or the Jewish believers is he's reminding them of what Scripture says. He's reminding them what the Old Testament says, what the law and the prophets say, and he's using this as his support. So here he quotes First uh, Kings, and he's talking about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is saying something that we've all felt. Uh, he's saying, God, I'm all alone. And haven't we all felt alone at times? Maybe you've made a stand for your faith and you felt alone, you felt isolated. Maybe you're the only one in your family serving Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, but you just felt alone. And the prophet felt this way. He said, God, I'm all alone. Do you see how alone I am? And God's like, no, you're not alone. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't abandoned you. I see where you're at. And he's using this to remind the Israelites, hey, you're not alone. God's got a place for you. God knows you. He sees you. Let me go back to verse 2, though. He says this. God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Whom he chose from the very beginning. Now last week we talked about the, the doctrine of election. And we're not going to revisit everything we talked about last week. But the doctrine of election in layman's terms is predestination. And so if you want to hear more in depth about that, you can go back to last week and listen. Um, but but. I, I want to walk through this with you because the word he uses here is whom he chose from the very beginning. It's a word that's commonly translated as foreknew, and it's prog- prognosko in the Greek. Prognosko means to have knowledge beforehand, to foreknow, to predestinate. Um, it is the same word used in chapter 8. If you remember, I'm sure all of you remember back in June when I preached on Romans chapter 8. So back in June, Romans chapter 8, we talked about this word just a little bit. Now, this word foreknew is important <clears throat> because this is one of the keys to understanding um, the, the doctrine of election. By saying, hey, God foreknew people, um, we have to understand the context because it's not an intellectual knowledge like, uh, I know the people of this church and some people I know better than others. Um, it's not just an intellectual knowledge. It is a, a heart knowledge. It's a heart connection. Um, Because if God knew some, then that would mean he didn't know others. And if he doesn't know people, if he doesn't know who they are intellectually, it means God has limitations. And I I want you to hear this. The God I serve has no limitations. So it can't be an intellectual knowledge that God was aware of some people but not aware of others. So so what it's really talking about is a knowledge of of intimacy. It's a knowledge that says, I know you personally and intimately. I, I don't just know some facts about you. I have... I have a heart for you. So here, here's the way I would compare it. I, I love Indiana, and I love Indiana County. Even though there are people I don't know, God is not limited by that. He knows them. So I love Indiana County, but I have a special love for the people of Summit Church. I love the church 
of Jesus. So I love the people that go to Saving Grace. I love the people that go to Word of Grace. I love the people that go to Grace United Methodist. All the graces I love. <laughs> grace Stone, we can slip them in there too because it's Grace Stone anyway. So, but I, I love the church, okay? But I've got a special love for the people that are part of this church because I've, I've got a special knowledge of you. I know you better. So I love you differently. And, and here's... Here's what I believe we can see here, that, that um, in Romans chapter 8, we're talking specifically about believers. We're not talking specifically about Jewish believers. In Romans chapter 11, this verse, he's talking about a foreknowledge, foreknowing, and if I can say it this way, foreloving of the Jewish nation. And we know that there are people who opted out of that. We know that there were people like Saul, uh, King Saul. We know that there were people like Judas who literally betrayed Jesus. They were Jewish, but they opted out of that. They were not part of the blessing, the, the foreloving of, of, of God. And we also know that there were non-Jewish people who opted in. We know people like Ruth. Uh, like Rahab, the, the prostitute who sheltered the spies, the Israelite spies, they, they opted in. They were blessed because of their faith in God. And so it is not restrictive in that they are chosen and these people are predestined to heaven and these people are predestined to hell as much as it is that there is a class of people that are foreknown and foreloved and we can opt in or opt out of that class. People can say, hey, I, I want to be part of that group because I want to align my life with God. I want to align my life with his character, with his principles, with his values. Or they can choose not to. It is up to them. So we see this same word used in both Romans chapter 8 in regard to just believers. And again in Romans chapter 11 in regard to the nation of Israel. And remember what we said last week that I feel like Romans 9, 10, and 11 have more to do with nations in service, overall, big picture, than individuals in salvation. And this is the picture we see here again, that it's not about predestining people to heaven or hell, it's about um, us having the free will and us being foreloved by God. So let me table that for a while. Hopefully we don't have to talk about the doctrine of election for a while again, so... I can tell some of you are like, okay, good. I'm good with that. Romans chapter 11, verse 5 says this. It's the same today. For a few people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then, it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be, uh, would not be what is really uh, what it really is, free and undeserved. So what it's saying is that, that God's salvation for us is a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is a free gift given to us. Romans chapter 11, verse 7 says this. So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they're looking for so earnestly. And he's saying that they're looking for it through their works, through behavior modification. If I just follow the law, then I will find the favor of God. And he goes on to say, A few have the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened as scripture says, so put a pin in that, the, rest, the hearts of the rest were hardened. As scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. And he's quoting Isaiah 29 and Deuteronomy 29. Likewise, David said, 
Let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessing cause them to stumble. Let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see. Let their backs be bent over for, bent forever. And this is Psalm 60 that he's quoting. I'm sorry, Psalm 69 that he's quoting here. So again, Paul is using the Old Testament as his support. And what he's trying to help them see here is that Ultimately, they are blind. They're incapable of saving themselves through their own ability, through their own strength, through their own morality. But they don't see that. They're struggling to see that. And he says, um, back up in, um, there it is, verse 7, he said, a few, a few have chosen God, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. The hearts of the rest were hardened. This is an interesting phrase. The hearts of the rest were hardened. So what is the implication? If their hearts were hardened, how were their hearts hardened? Now, the, the easy implication is to say God hardened their hearts. And that's actually the way some scripture reads, that God hardened their hearts. And so if God hardens their hearts, then does that mean that God is actively making us choose heaven and hell? And that's really the question. Does God actively make us choose sin? And ultimately hell by hardening our hearts? Because this would go along with this idea of predestined, that God has predestined some for hell. But I don't think that's exactly what it means. That, that God is choosing and saying, sorry, you lost the lotto, you don't have your ticket punched, and we've got some lovely parting gifts for you. If you remember back even further back than June, back in the month of May, does anybody remember May 2022? That feels like forever ago now. May 2022, when we started our series in the book of Romans, uh, back in Romans chapter one, let me read a few verses to you. Now, Paul comes in hot when he's writing to the Romans. Romans chapter one, he just, I mean, it is double barrel shotgun blast to the chest. He doesn't hold anything back. He just lets them have it right off the bat. So listen to what he says. In Romans 1, 18 and 19, he says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Okay, so God is not, I mean, I'm sorry, Paul is not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about the people inside the church. He's talking about people who have a knowledge of God and even say the right things, but living lives that are wicked. And he says there is judgment and there is there's a curse on them who say the right things and who perpetrate godly living but actually their hearts are full of wickedness and they do live contrarily to what they say and what they profess again he's talking to the church and what he's saying is that everybody's in trouble <laughs> he's saying hey jewish believers it doesn't matter that you're jewish if you don't have Christ and if your life doesn't line up with what you profess, you're in trouble. Hey, Gentiles, I got bad news for you. Like he's just letting them all have it at once. And he goes on to say this in, in just the following verses. Romans chapter one, verse 24, he said, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things were in their hearts, that their hearts desired. God abandoned them to do those shameful things. It says in verse 26, that's why God abandoned them to do their to their shameful desires. They had shameful desires and God abandoned them to that. Verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that they should never be done. 
God abandons them. He uses this language three times consecutively to reinforce this point. So what does this mean? Well, I think that there's a point that we come to where God, in his foreknowledge, he knows, we talked about this, God knows what's going to happen because he's been there. And God sees the road we're on. He sees how our hearts are turned from him. And he says, okay, I'm, I'm abandoning you. And it doesn't mean you are doomed to hell, but what it means is if you find salvation, it's going to be outside the the grace of God. It's going to be outside the pursuit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, I don't think this is normal. I don't think this is a regular occurrence, but I think there are some cases we see this where God will abandon someone and say, hey, you've been pursuing this and you've been saying you want this, so I'm going to let you have that. And we're going to see what is produced from that. Um, But even in those moments, I think God is full of grace. So let me go back to the Old Testament. In Old Testament, Genesis chapter 15, God is having a conversation with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, um, we're not going to, basically this is what he says, we're not going to deal with the Amorites yet because their cup of iniquity is not yet full. That's the King James version of that, their cup of iniquity. Use cup of iniquity today, you know, when you're just talking to somebody in normal language. That doesn't really work very well. Like, your cup of iniquity is full, I say unto thee. Like, you can't do that. It's just weird. But it works in the King James. So what God says to Abraham is, their cup of iniquity is not yet full. What he's saying is, I know that this road they're on is going to lead them to judgment. But they're not there yet. I see where they're going. I see what the end of this current path is taking them to, and we're not at the end of that path yet. So we will, I will deal judgment on them later. And again, this just goes back to the fact that God sees, God knows where we're going, but he allows us to make the choice, to, to have the free will to choose to follow him or not to follow him. And I think, unfortunately, there are times when our hearts are set on wickedness that God abandons us. That God says, okay, and he doesn't do it with joy, with a smile on his face. He does it with, well, with a grieving heart. Why? Because God loves people. God loves you. He is for you. And when we choose a life that's contrary to him and his word, it grieves his heart. Let me move on. Verse 11. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? We just said this. No. He says, of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the, uh, a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. So a couple things I want to point out here. <clears throat> he says, hey, have the Israel, has the nation of Israel, have the Jewish believers opted out of salvation? No, they have not fallen so far they can't be forgiven or redeemed. And so he said, no, they haven't lost hope. God has not abandoned you. He says, keep pursuing, keep praying. God's going to open your eyes. It says he wants them to become jealous of what the Gentiles have. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, when I think about jealousy, I think about like children. And if you've had kids, you understand, um, sometimes kids get jealous and they're like, no, that's my ball. 
And it's not that they want the ball, it's just that they don't want you to have the ball. Does that make sense? And sometimes we don't grow out of that. As a youth pastor, seeing teenagers, um, I would see girls and guys, and there was jealousy all around relationships with teenagers. Unfortunately, sometimes those teenagers don't grow up, and they take jealousy into their adult, adult relationships, their grown-up relationships, which sh- jealousy shouldn't be a part of a mature believer's relationships, by the way. But sometimes that happens. And, and here's the thing. A girl would be like, oh, that's the guy I've been dating, and he shouldn't be going with her. And it's not that she wanted the guy. She just didn't want that girl to have that guy. Does that make sense? And the guys do the same thing. And it's not that God is saying, hey, the Jewish people should want one, what the, the Gentiles have at the expense of the Gentiles. He was not saying that this was a zero-sum game, that in order for the Jewish people to do better, the Gentiles have to do worse. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, um, man, I, I hope, my prayer is that the Jewish believers can see how good it is to, to be in a relationship with Jesus, that they will have an authentic faith and an authentic intimacy with, with God. And it's not that they'll want it at the expense of the Gentile believers, but, but that they would long for the same thing the Gentiles have. And here's the thing. There are people of different maturity levels in our church, whether it's here or in Blairsville. People mature differently. And your age has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity, by the way. You can be spiritually mature and maybe be a, a 19 or 20-year-old. You can be spiritually immature and be 85, your age has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity. And what we want is for you to be spiritually mature and for you to be growing in your faith and for you to have an authentic affection for Jesus that's transforming your life, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is. <clears throat> and this is what Paul's saying to his church. He says, if the Gentiles were rich because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater the blessing the world would share when they finally accept it. <clears throat> Here's what he's saying. Um, th- think how blessed we are because God opened up salvation to all of us, not just Jewish people. And he said, if, if the world is blessed because the Jewish people had opted out, think how much better the world would be if the Jewish nation opted in. Um, <clears throat> again, this comes back to this idea of the zero-sum game, that for one to do well, the other has to do badly. When we first launched our, our location in Blairsville, and uh, I love you guys very much in Blairsville, but when we launched our Blairsville location, the, some pastors in Blairsville were very nervous about us coming to town because they thought... Um, hey, Summit is going to take our people, and we're going to shrink, and we're going to be in trouble. But this is not the case, because I firmly believe when God blesses a church, he blesses the church. And so we've seen people saved at our Blairsville location over the last year and a half. Uh, we've seen people come to faith in Jesus uh, that have come to our church. But we've seen people that have come to faith in Jesus who have said, hey, uh, man, I experienced God here. I met Jesus here. Uh, but I grew up singing hymns, and I want to. I want a church tradition like that. And we're like, well, we don't sing hymns very often here, so there are some great churches. And so what's happened is there are people who have come to Christ at Summit Blairsville who have filtered out to other churches. The church is better because Summit Blairsville is there. 
What, it, what I, I tell people all the time is the rising tide lifts all boats. And this is the same idea that Paul's talking about. If the nation of Israel could really connect with who God is and the salvation that comes through Christ Jesus and not through works, then it would change everything. It would change the world. He goes on to say in verse 13, I'm saying all this especially for you Gentiles. <clears throat> God has appointed me as an apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this for I want, I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who are dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just the entire branch, I'm sorry, batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy. For its roots, for if the roots of the tree are holy, then the branches will be too. So again, it's this idea that we were just talking about, that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the foundation of the faith of the Jews and the patriarchs of the Christian faith as well, they are holy. God wants to do something through their lineage. He expands on this idea in verse 17. <clears throat> but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, you are branches from a wild olive tree, and they've been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch, not the root. Paul's direct, man. Like, he doesn't hold anything back. He's like, hey, you've been grafted in, but don't you get too proud. God cuts you off. He's got a saw in his hand. He's ready. He'll take you out, right? That's the way it sounds. It's interesting. We don't, we don't follow this illustration very well, but the people that Paul was writing to would have understood this when he says, <clears throat> that you were a wild olive tree and you were, you were grafted into this, this cultivated olive tree. And so there's a difference. The, the, the wild olive tree that grows, it is um, not cultivated or planted or it, is, it springs up in the wild. And the cultivated olive tree is... Um, literally cultivated. It is, they, they work to get a specific produce from it. And, and the biggest difference in these two things is that the cultivated olive tree, um, more of its energy is put toward producing fruit. So it actually produces better fruit than the wild olive tree. The wild olive tree spends most of its resources just trying to survive. It spends most of its resources on its roots and trunk and branches um, just trying to survive. It will produce some fruit, but it is not nearly as fruitful as the cultivated olive tree. Now, I don't want to create deep theology out of this, but I do believe this is the point that Paul was trying to make when he said this. What he's trying to say is the olive tree is fruitful. The, culti the cultivated olive tree, which is which is Christ, which is God, it, it is fruitful. And when we, the, the wild olive branches, are put onto or fixed into the cultivated olive tree, then we will be more fruitful. We don't have to worry about survival. We can worry about producing fruit. And this is ultimately what God has called us to do is produce much fruit. That's what God invites us to. And this is what Paul's talking about. Romans chapter 11, verse 19. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. 
Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. I want you to remember this language as we move into this next portion. Then he says, notice how God is both kind and severe. This is where people get hung up sometimes because we go, well, wait a second. How could the God of the Old Testament be judgmental and full of wrath and all these kind of things? And we, we see that in the Old Testament. And, but in the New Testament, we don't see that as much. And was like, wow, God really changed. It's like, no, God didn't change at all. And, and Paul nails it. He says God is both kind and severe. He is, he is both of those things. He is the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. He is all those things at once. We just have trouble reconciling that. He goes on to say, he is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into the cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. So, this is a question I've gotten a lot through the years. Based on what we just read, can believers lose their salvation? Can we lose our salvation? And and the simple answer, in my opinion, is no. We can't lose our salvation. Um, It is not like my my keys. I've got my keys, and I've got them in my hand. I have not lost them because I know where they are. But sometimes Emma is at church with me, and she'll say, Daddy, I need to get in your office. Can I borrow your keys? And she will take my keys, and then they will not return to me, and I do not know where they are, and I will have to look for my keys because they are no longer with me. Your salvation is not like your keys, where you go, well, where did I put that salvation? Honey, did you wash my salvation in my pants again? Don't you shrink my salvation, right? That's not how it works. Um, we can't accidentally lose our salvation. When I was younger, I grew up in a tradition. Uh, it's a, it was a holiness tradition. And um, we were never said this Uh, told this explicitly, but somewhere along the line, I began believing that everything that was fun was probably sinful. (laughs) Does anybody else relate to that a little bit? Like, you better not be whistling a happy tune because you're probably going to hell if you do that. (laughs) Like, uh, there was a a saying that I've shared with you guys before where I grew up, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew, and we don't run with girls who do. (laughs) That was hard because a lot of the girls around my town that I grew up in smoked, drank, and chewed, so... They were hardcore in Mustang, Oklahoma, I'm just telling you. And so we knew all the stuff we don't do. We don't do this stuff. And if you did it, you might lose your salvation. That was how I felt. That's what I believed. And so I probably was saved 10,000 times growing up. Every time there was an invitation given at church, I would respond because I was a terrible sinner, because I'd had a bad thought that week, or I fought with my sister, or whatever it was. I knew my salvation was voided because of my behavior. And what I realized is I had too cheap a view of grace. My view of grace was too flimsy, it was too small. My view of God was that he wanted me, he was rooting for me to fail. He wanted to make it hard to get into heaven. But that's not the way I view it today at all. I think God's grace is strong. 
I think uh, as long as we are pursuing God, as long as we are doing our best, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have moments. But if I am pursuing God and being earnest about repenting of my sin and turning away and, and crucifying my flesh every day, then I'm going to make some mistakes, but I'm not going to lose my salvation in the midst of that. So I've got a caveat. I don't think we can lose our salvation. I do think we can forfeit our salvation, though. And again, this is not an easy thing to do. You don't do it accidentally. This is something that, that people, remember earlier we talked about God abandoning people, and I said, I think this is a rare occurrence. I don't think this is normal. But, but on, on some occasions, I think God finally does do this where he just goes, okay, I'm, I'm done. And I think people can do the same thing, that people, they can know Christ, they can walk with God, they can be in relationship with him, and then at some point, they, in their free will, they actively choose to walk away from God. And they say, nope, that which I knew, I don't want to know anymore. That which I, I walked with, I'm done walking with you. One of my favorite verses, Amos 3.3, how can two walk hand in hand if they're not going to the same place? I think we can walk with God hand in hand with him, and then I think we can make an active decision to go, nope, I don't want to do what you're doing. I don't want to live a life on this path anymore, so I'm going to choose a different path. Again, is that easy? No. I think it's got to be an active decision in our heart to walk away from God, to say, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. And maybe that active decision is to say um, kind of what Paul was talking about. Hey, I'm going to say all the right things, but I'm still going to live however I want. Hey, I, I can do this because I can just ask God's forgiveness later. That is a dangerous place to be. It's presuming on the grace of God. And I, I think we are dangerously close to walking away from our faith if we haven't fully done that in that moment. So can we lose our salvation? No, we don't lose our salvation. But can we abandon our faith? Yeah, I think we can. I'm happy to talk more about that with you later if you'd like. I had a guy stop me last night after service and wanted to talk. We had a good conversation about it. He was wrong, but that was okay. <laughs> Rome, I'm just kidding. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 <laughs> says this. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. We'll come back to that idea in just a moment. And so all of Israel will be saved come to that idea in a moment as well. As scripture says, the one, the one who rescues will come from Jesus, I'm sorry, Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. And this is Isaiah 59. So a couple things I want to point out. It says some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. So again, it comes back to this idea, does God actively harden their hearts? I think you could make a case that God has hardened the hearts of Israel to some degree. Um, I think you could also make the case that the, the nation of Israel has hardened their hearts toward God, that they have uh, abandoned God, uh, as I was talking about earlier. And it says, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. So this is a prophetic word. This is talking about what will happen when, um, when, non-Jewish people come to faith in Jesus Christ. God knows there's a number that's gonna happen that at that point, um, he's going to soften the hearts of, of, Jewish, of Jews, of Israelites. 
soften their hearts, open their eyes. Similar to what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul of Tarsus. He was on the road to Damascus. He had this encounter with Jesus and he was blinded. And then later the scales fell off his eyes and he was able to see again. And this was symbolic of the spiritual um, eye opening that he had, the spiritual blindness that he had that his eyes were open. And I think in a similar way, what's gonna happen is um, God is going to soften the heart of the Jewish nation so that they will be more receptive to the Holy Spirit and responding to the call of God in their lives. And then it says, and so all Israel will be saved. So let me make this clear. There is, there is um, in time teaching that says the entire nation of Israel, every Israelite will be saved because of their nationality and because of their ethnicity. And I want to help you with this. I already established this earlier, but <clears throat> there were Jewish people who opted out of faith. Um, and, and again, faith only comes, salvation only comes through Christ Jesus. And so your nationality will not matter at that point. Your ethnicity will not matter at that point. What matters is the name you proclaim as Savior, and that's Jesus. And so if the nation of Israel does not proclaim Jesus, they will not have salvation. It is just that simple. And so what he's saying is um, salvation will be made available to all the nation of Israel. So he's not saying that their nationality dictates that they get to sit in a special section in heaven and they're all going to make it. That's just not what it's saying. Um, so let me move on. <clears throat> Verse 28, many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. They're enemies of the gospel. And this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For, the, uh, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. So let me just take a second here. <clears throat> this is the difference between uh, covenant and contract. God established a covenant with Abraham. And this is so important because Marriages are covenants, they're not contracts. I talk about this literally at every wedding I do, I will talk about this idea that we think they're contractual. Contract says, if you behave, I'll behave. But if you don't behave, I won't behave, right? If you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I don't have to hold up my end of the bargain. And that's how we go into marriage many times. As long as you act perfectly, I'll act perfectly and we'll be fine, this will be a great marriage. But the second you deviate, it's, we're trouble, right? You're, oh, we're going to fight and we're going to have problems and I'm out. And that's what happens many times. But God doesn't operate that way. God is a God of covenant. And, and this is why, in spite of everything Paul said for the last three chapters, hey, you have turned your back on God. You've forsaken God. You've abandoned God. He said all these kind of things. It says here, God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn to his people. Why? It's because of covenant. See, covenant says, uh, I'm committed to you no matter what you do. I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain regardless of what you do. I'm going to behave even if you'd misbehave. I'm going to be faithful to you even if you're unfaithful to me. That's covenant. And that is a much deeper, richer, more fulfilling relationship than a contract every day of the week. And this is what God enters into freely with his people, with you and I, covenant. So God says to his the nation of Israel. I'm committed to you no matter what you do to me. Verse 30 says this. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. And then, I'm sorry, now, now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they 
too, will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decision and his ways. I think this is a great summary for what we're just talking about, right? Over the last couple weeks, this stuff is hard to wrap our right brain around. It's hard for us to understand the ways of God and, and the thinking of God. And the reason is we can't. And so Paul just says, this stuff is hard to understand. And I think everybody, both here in Indiana and Blairsville, would agree, this stuff is hard to understand. It's hard to work our way through. He says in verse 34, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And he's quoting Isaiah 40, 13. He says, which of us are smarter than God that we can tell him what to do? Then he says in verse 35, and who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? He's quoting Job 41. How many of us have ever given more to God than what he could give to us? And it's like, okay, God, I've given to you. Now you owe me. And what he's saying is, what we need to do is just humble ourselves. We need to understand that we, we can't think like God thinks. We can't understand what he's doing. So I've got to humble myself in that moment. I can never give God more than he's given me, so I've got to humble myself in this moment. And then he wraps up chapter 11 with this thought, this section of the letter. He says, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended, and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And this is a great spot for us to, to wrap up these three, this section of scripture. Because this is what Paul comes back to. He says, this is what it's all about. It's all about God's glory. Whether you are a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer, what it comes back to is the glory of God working in and through us, being manifest through us, letting the world see God's glory through our lives. That's what we are here for. That's why we live. Because everything is made for him and by him and through him. And it's for his glory. And so... Man, we covered a lot of ground today. What I want you to, to hear is this. Number one, if you are far from God, if you are running from God, if you have maybe abandoned God, God is not running from you. He is for you. Salvation is available. He, he longs for you to come back. Maybe you're here today and you've never had a relationship with God. Today is your day. It is good to be a son or daughter of God. It is good to be grafted into that tree. And I want you to be. Maybe you're a believer and you have been for a while. My question to you is, are you actively carrying the glory of God? Are you a vessel for his glory wherever you go, to your work, to your home? Do you carry his glory? Do you reflect his glory to the people you come into contact with? If not, then God wants to call you to a higher place. Hey, right now I'm turning it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. He's gonna close out our time. He'll give you a chance to respond, but I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day. So I've just laid it out for you, and I wanna give you a chance to respond today. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. God, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that, that we can be in covenant with you that even when we blow it, even when we make a mistake, God, you do not give up on us. So God, I pray that our hearts would be fortified by your spirit, that our hearts, Lord, would be committed to you with everything we are. 
God, I pray that, that you truly would be our highest affection and we would order our lives around you. And God, as we do that, we don't have to worry about losing our salvation. We don't have to worry about you abandoning us. God, we are secure and we are firm because your grace is big. So God, thank you for loving us like you do. God, I repent of the times that maybe I've taken your grace for granted. I've taken your love for granted. I've lived my own way according to my own standards and rules. And, and God, I, Lord, I repent of that. Forgive me. God, corporately, as a church, forgive us for not being obedient to you. God, I ask that every person in this place who's living a lifestyle that's contrary to your best, that's contrary to your word, Lord, we would begin to submit those things to you no matter how big or small it may seem begin to trust you with that. So God, I pray that the, the dark corners of our heart would be illuminated, that, that we would see them clearly, and that any portion of our heart that's unsubmitted to you, God, today would be the day. God, I pray that we would not believe that church attendance would save us, that morality would save us, that just saying the right things would save us. But God, help us understand the only thing that brings salvation is intimacy with God, knowing God through Jesus. So God, remind us of that. Help us see that clearly. And I pray that today people would say yes to you. Today, people would surrender their lives to you. So God, have your way with us over these next few moments. Now, with nobody looking around, if you'd say to me, Mel, the things you described in this message today, some of those were me. I, I've been running from God. I've been putting on a show. I've been saying the right things, but living differently. Maybe you're someone who you've never really put any value in knowing God. You've never even played the game. You've never put on a front anything because it just hasn't been a priority. But maybe today you've recognized the fact that something needs to shift in your life. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So if you'd say to me, Ma, I want to know Christ. I want to walk with God. I want to be in covenant with him. I want him to be committed to me, but I'm gonna be committed to him as well. And the blessing that Paul talks about that comes with salvation, I wanna walk in that blessing. I wanna know how good that is. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I just wanna pray with you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, include me in that prayer. Yeah, two, three hands over here on my right, thank you. Yeah, thank you on my left, I see you, ma'am. Yep, up in the balcony, thank you. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You said, Mel, include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you. I see you up in the balcony. Awesome. Yeah, thank you on my left. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We talked about this verse last week. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want us to pray a prayer out loud. We're gonna pray it with our mouths, but we're gonna pray it from our hearts. Every person in this place, we're gonna pray this prayer out loud. And this is not just about making a profession of faith right now in this room, but it's about what happens when we leave this room. It's about professing Christ as savior, not just here in this church, but in our school, in our workplace, making sure that we are being faithful with our mouth to what he's done in our heart. So I want us to pray this prayer, and this is the beginning of the walk with you, with God. 
for you. So pray this prayer with me out loud. Everyone in the room, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for sending your son to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways, my old life, and my old thinking. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. So we want to help you take that next step in your faith journey. And like I said, this is the beginning of the journey. We're introducing you to Jesus, and now we want to help you get to know Jesus. And, uh, and so the best thing you can do is to take the card out of the seat back in front of you and then take it to the info center when we finish here in just a moment. It's in the middle part of our lobby. Take it over to them and uh, they're gonna give you a, a resource. They're gonna give you a Bible, help you take the next step. Um, if you'd prefer to, to do something digitally, you can do that as well. You can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. And for those of you watching online, if you'd like to, we'd love for you to do that. Text us, let us know, and we're gonna respond back to you. And we're gonna get some information in the mail to you. And then in the next few days, uh, somebody from our team is gonna reach out to you and they're gonna help you begin to take the next step in your faith journey. So thank you guys so much. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship together. And while we're singing this last song, some of our prayer team is gonna be here and available at the front of this room. And if you'd like prayer for any reason at all, I would love for you to find one of our prayer team during this last song, or even after we dismiss in just a moment, they'll be here and they would be delighted to agree with you about whatever may be going on in your life. So please take advantage of that. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I love you more than you know, and I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week.